0: Welcome to Clickbait and Switch, a marketing podcast that tries to cut through the bullshit and hook you up with what you need to know, what you don't, and what stories should be getting a little more love than they're getting. I am Mark, that's Gisela. And okay, we're going to avoid the election and we're going to talk WhatsApp payments, Snapchat changes, more challenges to Apple's App Store policies, and some Canadian content politics. But first, you can now send payments with WhatsApp. What's going on here, Gisela?
1: Very exciting for people in India only for now surely coming our way in the next few months or years. But essentially, you can send money, payments, whatever transaction, money-related, as easily as sending a text message. So the word says. I haven't tried it because I'm in Canada, but that's the story. It's going to take some time until it rolls out everywhere for sure. They have already tried it also in Brazil, but they run into some problems with their local bank there. So I expect some of that to repeat itself somewhere else in the world, but uh, very exciting, could be a game changer for a lot of markets.
0: Okay. But say you're someone who isn't necessarily, who doesn't necessarily trust Facebook with their money. And why would I not just use Interact or PayPal or another one of those services?
1: Yeah, I see where you're going with this. I did mention offline that I don't trust Facebook with my data. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Um, That's okay. There's still Interact and PayPal. However, if I were Interact and PayPal, I would be freaking out a little bit right now because...
0: Because it's Facebook wading into their territory. So even if it's just a little bit that's still a massive player in the market.
1: Yeah, right now people using WhatsApp, embracing WhatsApp for business in places like South America, for example, are already transacting via WhatsApp, but using Interact or PayPal, but they won't need to if WhatsApp has its own solution.
0: Something to follow, certainly. Moving on, something small but quite significant is Snapchat is now letting creators show off their subscriber counts. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time that Snapchat has given sort of any users any sort of public facing metric about their followings or their audiences. Why is that important?
1: That is correct. I'm a little bit concerned that Snapchat is losing its north with this, losing its core philosophy, but they must be losing some profits and this is why they are doing this. It shouldn't be a surprise, Snapchat introduced creator profiles back in September, which already gives the users on the platform more insights and helps them coordinate with brands. And let's face it, as a marketer, Mark, We know how hard it was (laughs) to figure out if the Snapchat account had the following we expected or were promised or not. So that's going to be now more
0: evident. It's true because they were notoriously difficult to work with and get any sort of uh, metrics out of. So it's going to be interesting if it's public facing and it's easy to see. It's definitely something the brands can start looking to to uh, enhance their sort of social media offerings.
1: Yeah, I hope it doesn't pull the focus of content affinity and the importance of that, because now you have a number, so it's easy to say, oh, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, without even looking at the feed. But um, yeah, we'll see where it goes.
0: All right, so let's wade into the murky world of app store politics. So what is the latest development here in this space?
1: Okay, I'm going to try to unpack it. A few weeks ago, if you remember, Epic Games, who makes Fortnite, picked a bone with Apple about its App Store policies. Long story short, it became a huge deal and other big names, big brands like Spotify, for example, Basecamp, they all joined together and created something called the Coalition for App Fairness. Do you remember this? I do. So two of the big things that they were complaining about were that to put apps on your iPhone you must absolutely go through the App Store and of course the App Store takes a 30% cut of earnings when they do that. So that was a big deal. Um and now last week Facebook has launched a new kind of cloud gaming feature that adds to their existing gaming tabs for Mobile games specifically, but um, essentially, cloud gaming is like imagine Netflix. So you can stream your games. But the big thing that Facebook is adding is that you can test out the game, and okay, you decide you're willing to pay for it. You're going to purchase it. You could purchase it and continue playing where you left off your test, as opposed to starting again. However, Apple wants them to go through the Apple Store. So the user will have to exit this environment, go through the Apple Store, download the game, etc., 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 which. It's not great user experience. So Facebook is complaining because of the user experience. But come on, let's face it. They're also losing that 30% cut because they're using the App Store.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What's interesting is that they haven't launched on iOS. Facebook hasn't, that is. But they have launched on Android. And Android takes a 30% cut. And guess what? Facebook also takes a 30% cut from the game developers. So everybody's taking a cut. The creators are getting the least and uh, that's what's going on right now.
0: So is this all just posturing and positioning on Facebook's part? It can be, hey, it's a- It's a multifaceted story.
1: It is a multifaceted story with a lot of vested interest and agendas, I would say. Everybody wants a cut. Everybody's fighting for profit in the name of the user.
0: But it's still interesting that Facebook is allowing people to try these games on their platform without having to already download the game in the first place. That's still an interesting UX feature.
1: They are creating a seamless experience and it's kind of blurring the line between advertising and games, which is a little bit scary in my opinion, but that could be a whole other podcast on its own.
0: All right, let's move on to something equally as complicated and somewhat debatable. We spend a lot of time talking about what happens in the US, obviously, because what happens in the US has a big trickle down effect, certainly here in Canada and around the world. But here in Canada, the federal government is proposing a modernization of the Broadcasting Act. So This is otherwise known as the CanCon rules, the Canadian content rules. So the Canadian government back in the early 70s set up these rules to really start promoting Canadian made content that had to be Promoted here at home as well. So the goal was to, you know, encourage Canadians to keep not only developing this content, but delivering this Canadian made content, certainly here at home. So the new bill, Bill C10, targets online streaming services from abroad. So this includes platforms like Netflix, Disney Spotify, and YouTube. So this is, you know, partly as a response to a report that came out in January by the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Legislative Review Panel. So it's interesting because you're starting to have these CanCon regulations being applied to outside sort of broadcasters, but following sort of a domestic rule. So this is very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's modernizing the law, right? When this law came about back in the 70s, the Internet wasn't a thing yet. So it wasn't as relevant to apply this To broadcasting outside of the country in the country if that makes sense
0: because they were focused more on radio and and television at the time but obviously as these sort of giants have come in and provided so many canadians with such a a wide array of options that aren't necessarily you know made by or produced by or filmed in canada
1: yeah so if this bill goes through all these companies will have to invest in a certain amount of Canadian content and make that available to the user. So they could invest as much as 830 million in Canadian content over the next three
0: years. If if they want to match the rule and not just back out.
1: That's it. So first, a few things need to happen, right? First, um, there needs to be an assessment of which online broadcasters should be regulated and which don't. We need to also refine our definition of what Canadian content means in this context of the internet. So a few things still need to happen. For now, we know for sure that text-based news sites and video games are excluded from this regulation. So are things posted on YouTube and Facebook made by an individual? It's more of like the wider range channels, let's say.
0: So when it's something like YouTube Music, that would be something that's a curated service that might have to have a certain proportion of Canadian content presented to domestic Canadian consumers.
1: Yeah, so that would under because it's a curated kind of listing, so it's pre-selecting for you. Mm -hmm. The big thing here, I think, in my opinion, is about choice. Giving Canadians a wider choice that also includes Canadian content and brings it to your attention. But essentially, what the regulation wants to do is to create more opportunities for Canadian producers, directors, writers, actors, and musicians, and wants to create a more fair or leveled playing field for Canadian broadcasters, like, for example, CBC and Global. It wants Canadian music and stories to be more available through more services. And it wants to make sure that there's a more diverse and inclusive broadcasting system that is reflective of Canadians
0: as a whole. So, critics. Well, no, it's before we get into all the reasons why this could potentially really suck huge, like it, it was important, especially over the past 40 years, especially with the American juggernaut. Sucking up so much Canadian attention, like you just—you don't even have to look that far back. You look at what happened last week in the U.S. with the election; all Canadians were focused on that for the entire week. I mean, that was safe to say that that was the, the main topic of conversation, and we had nothing to do or say about it. But because of the massive influence of all those different media outlets, especially you start looking on social media, it's true that in certain scenarios you could have an American onslaught of products, of stories. And you start start having to see the, the world through that American lens, which is why initially the Canadian content legislation made sense. It was promoting the Canadian, not only the creators... But it was promoting those stories, which underpinned a lot of that. It was the Canadian experience being told by Canadians for Canadians, which is great. But at the same time, you got to start looking at it in a slightly different way. You look at someone like Drake, you look at someone like Bieber, you look at those type of artists, even Shits Creek, like quality content is always going to find itself an audience. So while there should always be the desire to promote Canadian artists, how far do you have to go, especially when you're talking about in arenas where the user has the choice and desire? Because if I go on to Netflix, I'm sure I could find Canadian content if I wanted, but it's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Even if they buy the licenses to a lot of stuff to fulfill their quota.
1: I don't even think I could search Canada. Can I search Canadian content? Would you? Yeah, I, th- I wouldn't mind having like a row under my i don't know trending on netflix also domestic trending by canada or something like that just to know what's out
0: there canadian made as a category sure sure
1: yeah why not i have the choice
0: but then you start looking at someone like disney plus and this is something we've talked about on the side is that disney plus makes so much content but not a lot of that is made in canada it's not produced in canada shirt sure, might have some canadian actors like the guy from Kim's convenience in the second episode of Mandalorian season two shout out represent, but they don't do a lot of that. So when you start looking at things like Disney plus, how much of that then isn't allowed or gets sort of blocked because it's not necessarily within our geographic region. You start seeing that on different, you know, us sites when their videos are, are blocked because of the location of your IP address. Do you start getting that with Disney plus? And in the end you get air bud, you get Santa Claus, and then maybe the most recent Marvel film, and that's it. You have like seven things to watch on Disney Plus because it has to fit the ratio.
1: Well, I hope it doesn't mean blocking other content. I hope it just means adding content, which is a scary thought because there's already so much content. But if I have the option to filter and I can pick and choose, why not? So we'll have to see where this takes us.
0: All right, that's enough. Thanks to CloudRaker for providing support for our podcast. And obviously, these are our opinions. And if we make mistakes, they're our mistakes, not their mistakes, our mistakes, mostly mine, not hers, mostly mine. That's it. Anything else, Giselle? That's it. Subscribe, give us a rating. See you back next week. Bye.